It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. afternoon, I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle an hour every Saturday at 2 when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right and try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. It's great to have you along. We've got Diego and Camilla on the other side of the glass helping out. Kevin running air traffic control. Talk Radio 77, WABC. You can reach us anytime on uh, our, we had a fancy app that works. You can even set it the moment you press the button, you get a live feed of our programs here, or you can always tune in to abcradio.com. It's a great show we have for you today from 2 to 3, like I said. And then at 3 o'clock, Curtis Lee will comes in for left versus right. He is just gleeful about the mayor's low approval numbers. And uh, I'm interested in what he has to say. I I heard the world-famous overnight host, Frank Morano, with whom apparently, Curtis, has something of a rivalry going. They're two of the highest-rated programs at our station. They own the night. And they seem to be in a little bit of a competition. And yet, in my Facebook feed, I see that Frank Morano is encouraging his legion of listeners to nominate Curtis Sliwa for the Radio Hall of Fame. And I got to say, I, I agree. I think my listeners should as well. And I'm going to ask him about that, whether, you know, Curtis is not known for his modesty, but I actually don't think he's behind this. I think this is actually a great idea and we should rally behind it. You can reach me at at Rep Wiener, R-E-P-W-E-N-A-R at Twitter, Wiener, W-A-B-C at gmail.com. And we'd love to have you call in 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. It is a bitterly cold morning out there. Got up very early this morning. Jordan had hockey practice at 7 o'clock. Usually I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to that ice-cold rink. The rink was warmer than outside. <laughs> like, I'm like, can't wait to go to that ice-cold rink and warm up from the 90-degree weather's outside. So, you know, to, to get Jordan to the rink at 7, I've got to get up about, I don't know, 5.45, start caffeinating myself, start to get his gear together, and then I wake him at the last possible moment and we head over there. So this morning, I'm, I'm walking down the hall to his, to his place where he lives with his mom, and there's a pizza box on this neighbor who's two doors down from me, and a pizza box outside. I'm like, that's, you know, man, what are you doing throwing your pizza box outside your door when you're done with it? And I nudge it, and it's a full pizza box. There's a pizza in it. And I realize that this guy all the time has delivery outside his door. And I'm reminded that about two months ago, he had delivery outside the door, and I knocked on the door to tell him that his delivery was, his food delivery was sitting outside his his door in the hallway. And there was no one there. And I'm like, that's kind of strange. You're ordering food and you're not even home. And I realized that 
um, and I asked Jordan about this as we walked back as we were heading to the, to, 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 to the street to, to go to the rink. And he says, yeah, there's always deliveries outside the cafeteria, and there's always something different. And we're going through the list. You got a Melissa's cupcakes once, and you got some lobster roll thing or something like that. And, and um, it occurs to me that this guy is regularly having food outside delivered at all different side when, when, all different times when he's not there. I've only seen him a couple of times, and I can't figure it out. I can't figure out what's going on there. This time it was a pizza. That it was, so it's a, this is the first thing in the morning, so there wasn't anyone actually ordering a pizza at 7 o'clock or 6.30 or 5.30 in the morning. And the pizza was still there the next day. So what could possibly be the story? Now, Jordan has a really – you know, Jordan's so smart. He's 11. He's really smart. He says he thinks that my neighbor does quality control for Grubhub. Isn't that interesting? Like he thinks he orders stuff just to see when it's going to get there and doesn't really eat it. Because it's true. It's all kinds of different stuff, all different times of the day or night. So I can't figure that out. He is um, – uh, so we're going to try, try to figure that out. And yes, for those of you following the balloon, yes, sometimes Chinese food is there too. Maybe that's being – maybe that's where the balloon is overhead to deliver China. Maybe it's going to Chinese food delivery thing that we should be aware of. Anyway, it was a good week this week, an exciting week, an interesting week in Washington. A lot of mail about my podcast, The Middle Unplugged, Episode 15, about the arrest of Charles McGonagall, the FBI agent that might have been handling my laptop that, that miraculously leaked right before whatever. Turns out that this guy is, was, uh, it was arrested for being on the payroll of Oleg Deripaska, one of the wealthiest oligarchs. This, is the, this guy, Charles McGonagall, was the head of the FBI counterintelligence unit at the New York office. This guy was not some small, obscure FBI agent, so I did a whole podcast about his arrest. Also this week in the news, Ilan Omar, a member of Congress from, I guess, Michigan, from Michigan, thrown off the Foreign Affairs Committee for being an anti-Semite. Ah, look, I mean, she used anti-Semitic tropes. I don't like her. She's not my cup of tea. But there have been anti-Semites in Congress before. And... There'll be anti-Semites in the Congress, and I think people talk. You know, there are people on the other side who do. That. I think throwing people off committees is not the solution here. I think you go to Washington to defeat people with your ideas. Now, I get the tit versus tat part that there were members on the Republican side who called for violence, and that was seen as over the line. Okay, I get it. Maybe now both sides have have done their taking people off committees thing, and we can get back to where we defeat people by arguing with them and winning votes and that kind of thing. Um, and of course, this. I mean, I'm not. If 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 Curtis wants to talk about the the balloon, I mean, I learned this this week. Uh, we spy on each other with balloon <laughs> with, <laughs> with balloons. I didn't know this. I mean, I don't. I'm not quite into it the way you know they have a bank of TVs outside the Charles McGurk studio here. Everyone, all the news is left, right, middle. They're all doing balloon stories. I can't get too worked up about it. Like, what's the What's the possible, like, what is the, out? who cares? And then the military says, oh, I, like, we can't track this thing every step of you. We can't tell you every moment where it is. You can tell me every moment where Santa is. Me and Diego watched that on, on Christmas. We watched that, like, tracking of where Santa is. We want, you know, that's, they can do that. How can they can't track a balloon? Anyway, so the balloon... All right, let's get into the numbers of the week and talk about what we want to talk about today, our issue of the day. First number you've been talking, you heard Norm Layton mention it, 517,000 new jobs in January. Holy cow. That's great. How's that? Not great news. I love listening to conservative 
economic theorists try to figure out a way to say, well, it's not the right kind of jobs. Well, in this case, it's leisure and hospitality, which is hugely important for New York. We're not going to have our comeback until two things happen. One, office workers start returning and tourists start returning. Tourists are clearly starting to come back, but the office workers still need to come back. 517,000 new jobs in January. Wages grew by 4.5%. But remember, inflation is still 6.5%. Now it's ticking down little by little by little. But if you do the math, if inflation is 6.5% and wages are 2.5%, that means your buying power, this is the average American, has gone down by 2%. That's a problem. So let's not get too out over our skis celebrating that number. And in honor of uh, February being Black History Month, here are a couple of numbers of the week. 13, that's the number of states that have passed laws or policies to restrict what can be taught and discussed in black history classes about um, race in America. And there are many more being considered in other, in other jurisdictions and other states. Georgia is seeking to pass a bill that would limit how teachers can teach about racism in history. And here's what it says. It says, this is the law now uh, that, that they're proposing. It says Americans should be allowed to quote, should be allowed, quote, an aspirational and inspirational take on America's history, debunking the misguided arguments that the present day problems of black Americans are caused by the injustices of past failures such as slavery. That's the language of what the Georgia legislature wants. Now, that hasn't been passed, obviously. Well, I don't say obviously. Who knows what goes on in Georgia? But that's the kind of thing that's being passed. 27, another number of the week, 27 States are considering similar proposals, with many of them having language to prevent the teaching of critical race theory. One being one bill being considered in Florida would ban the teaching of material causing, quote, discomfort, guilt or anguish in students. That's that's an idea in of Florida. Five hundred. That's another number of the week. That's 500 page report being released in June from a task force created by the by the state of California about the discriminatory practices that drove housing segregation, criminal justice disparities and other realities that harm black Californians in the decades since the abolition of slavery. Now, here's the kicker. By July 1st, this task force, which was created by California law in 2020, will have to make recommendations for how the state can atone for and address its legacy of discriminatory policies against blacks in the state. Um, read that as reparations. Uh, to make their recommendations, they hired some economists to take a look at five harms, and they had to try to put a number on how much these things cost because they, you know, this is a recommendation they're going to have to make to the legislature. None of this has been passed. Sometimes I listen to discussions of this here on ABC, and people talk like it's so oh, it's about to be passed or it hasn't passed. No, these are just a task force coming up with ideas. And so the economists looked at five harms: government taking of property devaluation of black-owned properties, housing discrimination and homelessness, mass incarceration, over-policing, and health. Those are the five areas that they've got to look at to see the recommendations for reparations. And then there's a lot of, um, a lot of talk about CRT, critical race theory. 800-848-WABC is the line, 800-848-9222. Um, what is CRT? You know, I'm not an expert on it, but I tried to get up to speed a little bit before I come and talk about these things. So basically, it's a 
it's a field of graduate study. It's a kind of a cross-disciplinary study. It's got a little bit of economics in it. It's got some social sciences in it. It's got some, some um, finance in it. And it's from the 1980s. It's not a contemporary thing. It's, kind of, it's been around a while. I mean, in one article I described says that CRT is a verb, not a noun. Like, it's a way to look at things. It's about the idea that government, business, education, and law, that these aren't truly colorblind things. And that to understand politics or economics or whatever, you have to look at how race might have influenced it. It's not about people. It's about institutions. It's about things. So an example might be... Education, like much of education spending, and this is how like CRT might unpack an issue. Um, education, you want to take a look at the state of education. You say, well, much of education spending is based on local property taxes. But what if one community spent decades being redlined? Redline is when banks don't you know, refuse in a certain area to make any loans. So if that's a policy of banks not to lend in certain areas, so those areas had less investment. So those areas then had lower property values and thus less property tax came in. And since we pay school, we, we, we finance schools based on property tax, the lower they had then less money to pay for teachers and less resources like labs and after school programs. And thus fewer kids were admitted to top schools. And thus fewer college graduates were networking in those areas with future CEOs and venture capitalists, et cetera, et cetera. So like CRT would be had a look at all that and figure out what race might have played because of the redlining that existed around race back in when it happened or a, a redlining that that took place back when it happened. So does this sound like technical and complicated and hard to pin down? Yeah. I mean, that's why it's something left to graduate students and career academics. Um, but today, state legislators and Governors who are ambitious and people who want to run for president, they're writing bans into the elementary school curriculum. Like an elementary school kid is going to be doing CRT, but now there's like these bans against it. But the effect is that kind of these issues, reparations, CRT, they become kind of like these all-purpose placeholders for discussions of race in America. I mean – Reparations is an interesting thing in my view. Like you have a, you know, what's the harm? It, well, well, let me put it this way, and we're going to go to a break soon, but I'd love to have you call in and help. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You know, what's the harm in going back and asking tough questions? What's the harm in saying, you know, do we have a debt that we owe? You know, I'm in recovery, and part of being in recovery is recovering the things that you've done and see what you're accountable for. What is the harm? And do we become a better country or a worse country when we put those blinders on? It's great to have you along. We're talking about race in America. Uh, Black History Month is February. 800-848-WABC. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. So great to have you along, and we'll see you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Wake up, wake up, wake up. It's a new day. The sun's coming up. There's no rest for the wicked. 
Music grinded, let that paper flow. Suck it up like Legos. You can't knock the hustle. And welcome back to The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're here every Saturday from 2 to 3. Curtis Lewa comes in at 3 o'clock. Maybe he can get to the bottom of the balloon scare of 2023. We've been in a period, this worries me a little bit, we've been in a very slow news period. We kind of had Santos and, you know, who's going to be the speaker and now balloons. You should be... You should be happy where that's our biggest problem. So we're talking a little bit about we're talking a little bit about reparation CRT in honor of Black History Month. But here's what I want to do. I want to have a conversation about these things, but we're not doing reparations in this country. We're what we're doing now that what we're doing now is studying how we might do it, right? And and whether just having a conversation about it, looking back and kind of having a conversation about it, right? I, I don't have a conversation. Well, why should you're going to blow up the deficit, and why should I pay this guy or that guy? But more importantly, is the concept, and CRT is the same way. What is the harm in the language of a bill that says teachers can't teach about anything that causes quote discomfort, guilt, or anguish? I want my 11 year old to be taught things that might make him uncomfortable. Like life is uncomfortable, history is uncomfortable. Man, he's eleven; he can take it. You know, you know we're, we we talk to him all the time about how he feels about things. That's that's a good conversation. It's not a bad conversation to have. I'm not afraid of that. And I hear all the time this language about you know they're being taught, they're being indoctrinated. No one's indoctrinating my kid. I'm keeping an eye on. I I'm involved in his education. I hear what he has to. See. I am not at all afraid of him being introduced to, to subjects that are. You know, especially history. I mean, history isn't was having a conversation with someone online who was very helpful with this. She's a conservative person. She's like, you know, why do you why do people want to want to be negative about these people? And I'm like, history isn't is neither negative or positive. History just is. And how we interpret it is called educate. I mean, that's of course we that's a subjective thing. But if you want to be taught only positive things. That's a strange way to go through life. And think about where it puts teachers. You know, my, my mom was a school teacher for 30 some odd years. I mean, she taught math. So there's not like a conservative or liberal. Yeah, I shouldn't say that. I bet you sooner or later, they'll come up with a way to make that also controversial. But, but if you're talking to social science like, or history or economics or things like that, you know, we want, we, we, we hire teachers, we train teachers, we should pay them really well. And we should let them go do their jobs, and then we should be part of educating our kids. But there's nothing wrong with looking at a sorry chapter. You know, I'll give you an example. There's nothing wrong with looking at the history I heard. Um, who oh, it was Sid. It was Sid who was asked about FDR. And he said he hates FDR because of the story in history of the MS St. Louis. Remember the MS St. Louis? It was a boat of a boatload of Jews fleeing the Holocaust that were turned away by us, by we, the United States, and, and FDR was behind it. Now, FDR has a long history. Believe me, he's, he has a long history. Um, and that's something about him. Now, Sid was making an assessment that I don't care about Social Security, I don't care about Medicare, I don't care about winning the war, I don't care about any of that stuff. All I care about is that issue. That's, his, that's fine. You want to do that, you can do that. I think you should teach about this, that, 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 that chapter in history. 
That doesn't mean you don't teach about negative things and you don't teach about the people that were harmed by it and the people that benefited from it. That's the conversation about reparations and about CRT is like how you contextualize these things and what our obligations. And you can say, I don't believe. Or you can write a report that says, here's the bad things we do. We just don't have the money to do it. We're sorry. And I, I made the analogy to, to recovery and to making amends and the notion that recovery comes from the, the, the notion of recovering your life and going back and re you know, reviewing it and re, you know, trying to get it right, trying to go back and say, and then you go and you make amends. Now, sometimes when you make amends, you know, you've stolen thousands of dollars, you've absconded with thousands of dollars from you. Sometimes you say, listen, I can never completely make amends, but I'm going to do my best. That exercise is what many religions believe in. And I think that's what many people believe in, that when you do harm, you do your best. Now, the question is, it gets harder. Well, what if my, if, what if my dad did the harm? Well, if you benefited from it, if you benefited from it, then yeah, you should you should probably put a little something in the kitty, or at least that's the thinking. Well, but there's there's equality now under the law. There's colorblindness now under the law. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I mean, does that matter that much? I mean, take the analogy of a take the analogy of a relay race. What if you have a relay race where at the opening gun, the first leg, that you think you're racing against someone who is held down by all four arms and legs, held down in the first in the, the first lap. And then the second lap, the guy is is they tie an anchor to his to his ankle and say, go ahead and run. And then in the third lap, the third um, the third person takes the baton and he doesn't he's not tied down. He doesn't have an ankle, but but he has to has to run through water rather than on the on the, the course. And then the fourth one, he has no obstacles at all. And you're the guy running the fourth leg. You say, my guy didn't have any obstacles. Look at him. I just I beat him fair and square. No, we live we live in a in a I mean, we live on the shoulders of those that came before us. Because I grew up in a middle class household, I was able to go to college. Because my my father had benefits that his father gave to him. I mean, we have laws in this country that you're allowed to pass along your inheritance to the next generation. I mean, a lot of rich guys are rich because their parents are rich. Those guys have advantages over me. So it's not this idea is you don't just start the clock when you burst onto the scene. You know, we do have a history. But that's so that's the question. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let's go to the calls um, so that we can um, get some perspective from you, the listeners, 800-848-WABC. Let's start us off at Joe in Long Island. Joe, thanks for joining us on The Middle today. How are you doing? Listen, uh, uh, you don't, your kid is not being indoctrinated because you believe what these people are teaching. That being said, reparations and all this other nonsense is nonsense. My, my family came here in the early 1900s. My grandfather lost all the fingers on one hand, worked the rest of his goddamn life that way. Never took a penny from anybody. And I don't give a damn. I'd leave the country or I'll take arms and fight. Nobody's taking reparation money from me. They can kiss my ass. They've been getting uh, uh, welfare and public housing and all this bullshit all right. and looting and everything right. else. That's their fucking reparation. All right. Well, all right. So uh, next, let's go to um, Chris in Bethpage. Go ahead, Chris. 
Geez, hard to follow that call. My God. Yeah, well, that, you, heck was that? you're 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 oh, usually you're usually the one that's fired up. You got to you have to raise your game to yeah, keep up no. with that guy. <laughs> I know. I, I'm fired up, but I would never go down that path. He just went down. I was crazy. But um, anyway, Anthony, listen. The reason I'm calling is, you know, you touch upon a very. We could talk two hours about this subject, as you know. Um, I'll say this. I'm 60 years old, and when I was going to school. We learned everything. We learned about the Civil War. We learned about slavery. And guess what? We learned the good and the bad of it. All right? We did. And you know what we also learned was very, very important is that there were millions, I don't even know the number, of northern young men, white men, that died for the cause to free the slavery. And that Abraham Lincoln was probably our best president, okay? And he was a Republican. I'm just saying. So when we analyze history, let's analyze it correctly. I always grew up thinking that it was ter- slavery was terrible. And I always blamed the South, the Southern racist. I'm sorry. That's, that's what me and my friends believed. And so once again, the guy, not so eloquently who called before me kind of has a similar uh, take on what I have, which is I have Irish and Italian uh, grandparents. Okay. That came over here with nothing. Okay. And struggled hard to make a living. My father worked three jobs, put us through school, sacrificed everything. And it's a slippery slope when you start talking about reparations. Because, you know, do we go back, uh, my Irish ancestors, and go back after the English, what they did to us? Or, you know, the Italians who had to come over here with nothing? I'm just saying, it's a slippery slope. But, well, but, what do you, but let me ask you, what is your objection to studying all that? No, no, there's no objection to studying. You can. But... Uh, Let's be fair, Anthony. What is exactly being studied? What's being it, st- now? I've, no, what, what's being studied? Okay. No, but here, I'll tell you. I mean, this is why I did a little bit at the top about what this reparations commission in California is studying. They're studying things like what are the effects of, of redlining that, that African-Americans couldn't get loans? What are the effects of incarceration and the way we wrote our laws that powder cocaine you know, has one penalty and crack cocaine had a different penalty? What is the effect of in healthcare that you have that because of redlining you have higher asthma rates in one community and 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 because you don't have the investment of businesses because of redlining you don't have healthy food and so the the amount of diabetes like my thing is 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 okay before we get to oh, it's going to be eight thousand four hundred sixty two dollars for each person before we get to that it seems that a lot of the efforts going on right now that I hear on conservative radio or I hear in Congress or I hear from politicians is let's not even ask these questions. And I don't believe that, you know, in the previous caller before he start cursing like a sailor said, well, you believe in these things. No, frankly, when my son comes home and he hears a presentation about what's going on in the Middle East, and it's a complicated thing in my household, you know, because I have, a you know, his mom is Muslim and we have different perspectives, et cetera, et cetera. But, I sit him down and I talk to him about what goes on in the Middle East and my perspective of it. And I tell him, these are some of the questions I have for you. You know, I don't feel I don't ever believe that that learning about stuff in any way is worth getting so upset and protesting about like people are like critical race theory. You know, I bet you if we have a if we have five listeners in our whole listener audience who like have studied critical race theory as a because po- it's a postgraduate kind of doctorate level thing, I'd be surprised. And yet they're writing laws in Georgia saying don't teach our elementary school kids that. 
and it came up in the gubernatorial debate. Andrew Giuliani, my friend here at, at ABC, who who's doing a great job in the morning with SIDS, with Sid, he like as part of his mayor, his gubernatorial platform. I'm going to make sure we're not teaching CRT to our school kids, dude. No one's teaching CRT to our school kids, are we? But we should not be afraid of what of CRT as a thing. So I guess that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, let's try Russ in White Plains. Go ahead, Russ. Hey, Anthony. I think the problem is CRT is being taught to the teachers who then teach the children in our schools. But I think the real problem is that there's collective guilt attached and the collective punishment or reward, collective compensation is the problem, just like the Nazis. You know, you, you may be in recovery, but you don't have an obligation to every victim of uh, whatever you were lured into doing. You know, you have a personal one-to-one. But what I'd like to say is that a white racist could put a spin on CRT if they're a teacher. They could say, look, uh, you know, we recognize that black-on-black violence is a vestige of slavery and resistance. You know, that's what happened in Memphis. Now, we have to teach young blacks that you should expect negative interactions with the police. Many of you will be in prison, and you've got to work to overcome the disabilities attached to rap music and toxic masculinity. Do we, do we teach that to young black people? I don't. Well, you mix. You miss a lot. A lot in there, Russ. But I think I get the point. I get you. The, the the point seems to be that these things are complicated, and there's a lot of elements to to where we are today. And I say, don't be afraid of that. I say, embrace that. That's what education should be. It, you know, history is neither good nor bad. It just is. And as far as my responsibility to make amends, yeah, it is to make. I remember I was an elected official. People put their trust in me. Thousands and thousands of people put their trust in me. Now, one of the ways you can do it is by a living amends. We're getting off on a sidetrack. But the point I'm trying to make is all these complicated questions that come up, where do you resolve them? With study, with conversation, with research. And that's what CRT, I think, is. It's kind of a high-level thing. Hey, this is a great conversation so far. We're going to continue it on the other side. At 3 o'clock, Curtis Lewa comes in, and we're going to talk about balloons and the sinking lead balloon of Eric Adams' Approval ratings on the other side. The sun's coming up. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the middle with Anthony Weiner. Welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. That's wonder stuff. Don't let me down gently. See what Diego did there. I think he wants us to talk more about the big balloon floating over North Carolina, South Carolina. By the way, if you think that if you get rid of the balloon, no one's spying on you. I got news for you, ladies and gentlemen. At least now we know what it is. It's like up there. And who's driving it? A really little balloon man? That's why they're not shooting it down, you know. That's Frank Marana. He'll tell you that there's little, little people flying that balloon. And what was supposed to happen? I, 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 all right. Maybe I should leave this for Curtis at the top of the hour. But it, I, I, I kind of think that balloons, by their very kind of construct, are supposed to go up in the air and float somewhere, right? 
they're supposed to go somewhere. And so now they're going. It's it's a, <laughs> I don't know. Here's the thing. Here's why I'm ultimately not cut out for for talk radio or I cannot muster a strong opinion about the balloon. So I'm I'm persuadable. If someone wants to call in and tell me that I should stop talking about Black History Month and instead talk about a big white trash bag floating over North Carolina. How do they know it's any different than the normal trash bags that float over North Carolina? All right. Anyway, so let's go back to the calls. We're talking about critical race theory. We're talking about reparations. And we're talking about the concept of going back and recovering how we have behaved as a country and where it plays today. By the way, about CRT, and I think I mentioned this in the introduction, it kind of makes the argument that anyone says that we are a racially blind country is not being completely honest because there are elements of the law that may be the – it's not that – by the way, it doesn't say that – it's not a study of people. It's not a study – it's a study of institutions. So before you know, if before you call up and say, well, CRT teaches you to hate this pr- – figure in in past in our past or this figure no it's the institute it's a study of institutions like the banking industry or the or the the, the educational in in um in, in uh, the education um a uh, foundation that we we build our we build so much on or the laws these are things look we have laws in this state that date from the time that we had slavery obviously not in new york but that it date from a, a bygone era to say that, well, there's no way that any of those laws were infected by the mores of that time, and there's no way that the ramifications that it has today, um, you know, over-incarceration was, was a thing. It was. I mean, that's, it wasn't that controversial when, when Donald Trump and Democrats got together and agreed on that and passed the First Step Act. So it's just a conversation that I think we need to have, and I think if you want to figure out how do we, and I'm a white guy, how do we honor the ideals of of Black History Month, one of the things we can do is like go back and take a look. Doesn't hurt. I don't think it hurts. I mean, but maybe people disagree. Let's go to David in the Bronx. David, welcome back to the middle. Yes. Um, good afternoon, Anthony. Um, I heard that first call, which hopefully most of it didn't get out over the air. And what I heard was the type of hatred that this discussion brings out in people. And that's the worst part. I'm a person of color. My father was white. My mom was black. I have an Italian last name. And apparently most people can't tell that I'm black over the phone. So I've run into all kinds of discrimination in my lifetime. And that's the issue that I think we should be talking about. Not the discrimination of 150 years ago. The discrimination that still goes on today. The anti-CRT people act like racism disappeared in 1965. I can tell you growing up on Long Island, which is one of the most segregated suburbs in this country, that racism is far from dead. Everything you talked about, the banking, the housing, jobs, that is all still going on. And people who don't want to talk about this, they're only going to make the situation worse. Most white people do not believe that they, are, that they have benefited from historical racism or the racism that still goes on. How are we ever going to solve these problems if we can't talk about them? That's like trying to cure cancer without using the word cancer. That is what really worries me. Yeah, and no, I, niece, yeah. no I, I appreciate it. And you, you bring a, a very important perspective to this. And I, I, think, I think where this gets into a conversation in our schools, which is where people really get the most triggered, this notion of you're indoctrinated with this hate America thing. That's the slogan that – Everyone keeps using. 
my view of education is that you it, that it's not indoctrination to tell to tell young people at different ages, whatever's age appropriate, what happened, what led, like you know. Archduke Ferdinand being assassinated is not a negative or a positive thing, but it is a thing that led to World War One. Right. I mean, so you can say, well, I don't want to teach anything about that because it's going to make people you know, like or dislike whoever killed Archduke Ferdinand. You know, the, I think that it's being politicized like everything else is. It's being politicized. But the language of it makes people believe sometimes people would argue, well, history, like you said, Started yesterday. By the way, I'm seeing on the screen now. Diego, did they shoot down this balloon? Yes, they did. It's on. Uh, it's on uh, live on Fox News right, right. Well, now. They well, shot well, down I'm, the balloon. I'm sure we'll get an update from Nolan Layton at the top of the hour. But I mean, did they shoot it down? Did they shoot it down by the Air Force's anti-balloon p- battalion that goes up there with little tiny pins, and they they're above it, and as they pass by it, they poke it with the little pin. All right, never mind. Maybe I hope it doesn't land anywhere in in South Carolina because you know how fragile they are, how snowflakey they are in that state. I'm afraid it's Wait a minute, is it live falling? I don't want to get people to turn off their radio. Is are we watching it in real time falling from the sky? We're watching yes. it in real time falling from the sky right now. And a this missile came from a fighter jet and hit the balloon. Oh my god. Okay, let's all right, so now this is this is some weird version of the OJ chase. Like we're just watching slowly. Another, another see more racism. It's just a white balloon. Anyway, um, let's go back to the phones. I promise I will keep you up to date on what goes on with the Chinese spy balloon, which is now coming down to Earth. Um, uh, Don has an interesting idea. Don on Long Island, go ahead, Don. Thanks for joining us on the middle. Sure. Hi, Anthony. Love your show. Thank you. I, I guess since I guess since it's the first time, you would call it a trial balloon. But anyway, <laughs> Nicely done. I'll get to my point. Um, with reparations, I don't I don't really disagree with the concept. The thing is, I would not give a check to somebody. I I think the money can be better used not on an individual basis, but on a societal basis, where you you know you go into the inner cities, you rebuild the cities, you give incentives to kids to, to go to school. You get scholarships. You can use the money for scholarships. You need to get rid of the gangs. I mean, there's a whole right. litany of things that, that you can do, but just don't hand out a check. I don't think that's very productive. You have to, you have to go to the kids. You want to, you want to get the kids educated and, you know, more productive. And that's, well, I think from. Don, I think you brought something interesting to the conversation. I appreciate your call and call us again. I mean, I think you know you can look at this notion of making of of fixing and making do and 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 making amends et cetera in a way that I think a lot of people would think would be more productive. I think it's more productive if if you're trying to resolve the outcome of redlining, which we've been using as an example, and redlining was this existing policy that was legal under under the law that was done all the time by banks saying literally a red line would go around some neighborhoods and they said that we won't l- lend money within that red line. If you want to resolve that, well, maybe you make the policy that banks have to lend twice as much over the next 20 years within red line areas as without, like basically a, you know, a supercharge investment in that community. Um, if you make the determination that because of that, that there were businesses who were – on a, you know, who were, who were disadvantaged in those communities, maybe you come up with some program to try to help them to become contractors for the government or something. Yes, I think there's many ways to cut this. Once we get out 
from the idea that even looking at it and talking about it, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure I support it, to be honest. I'm not sure that money and resources are necessarily the way to do it. I, I, but I'm saying that what it does seem to me in this conversation that we have is that that first angry call about it is as far as anyone ever gets on having a conversation about it. I think there, there, are, there are things that I, th- I think we should be prepared to say that, in the, in, in, that are vestiges in the law and in policy, in the way we discuss things and the way we educate people. That still has, um, that still has ways that we disadvantage people of color. Um, let's go to Peter in New Rochelle. Peter, thank you for checking in. Uh, interesting discussion. Thank you. Um, I was just about to shut off the radio and do my shopping, but I picked up the phone instead because one of the callers, uh, uh, and this analogy needs to be taken out of this discussion. The analogy that, uh, uh, Irish Americans, uh, Italian Americans, Polish Americans like myself, um, uh, you know, suffered uh, discrimination and and would warrant some sort of reparations. There is no comparison. The analogy fails between being discriminated against and being owned. And and being owned is a sin that this country is guilty of and could never possibly atone for. Yeah, I I mean, yes, that's right. And one of the things I'm saying around, thank you, Peter, and I'm glad you put you put a pin in that because one of the things that I have to be careful of, just like I did when I was a politician, is to not let things go by that are just wrong. And I didn't mean to, to do that. I think you're right. I think that, 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 that is an important distinction. It's another important thing to keep in mind here is to say, well, we passed all these – we, we did Reconstruction or we passed all these laws during the, the, the civil rights period of the 1960s. We, we made amends in those ways. Well, if you look at the period after Reconstruction, arguably it was even worse – for many African Americans, and and the, just passing a civil rights law and making a change in law didn't didn't do in many places what it was supposed to do. You had literally governors standing in front of schools saying, "I'm not going to follow the law." So lawmaking is part of it, and understanding that history and understanding that just making a law is not necessarily the beginning of the end. That and some of these things continue to reverberate is an important thing and an important uh, an important note to make. Um, Let's go to uh, let's go let's go before we oh do we have to go to a break now? All right, when we come back, we we'll take a few more calls. Sorry for running a little long. I wasn't I didn't mean to insert that element about the balloons. And on the other side, we'll take some more calls about race in America and white balloons falling to South Carolina. Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. Welcome back to the middle at Smash Mouth and Al City. Bring us back in. We're talking about race in America. We're here until three o'clock. At the top of the hour, Curtis Sliwa comes in. Left versus right. We talk a little bit about Eric Adams' poll numbers. 
Curtis is just, you know, he's only on the air for 16 hours a day talking about how badly Eric Adams is doing. But now he has some real numbers to support his case. We'll be talking about that. We'll also be talking about this white sheet that's falling into the deep south like they don't have enough white sheet. Okay, enough, enough. Um, I am curious to get to the bottom of the story. This is I'm glad Noam Layton's on the job today because I want to know what kind of missile you use to defeat a balloon. A little tiny baby missile? Like do we have a, a whole bunch of little tiny baby missiles in case we ever have any balloons we have to fight? And were they originally put into our arsenal when we thought that maybe Hitler was going to have a really happy birthday party and we were going to try to get in there and take out the balloons? Anyway, we're talking about a much more serious issue. We're talking about the issue of race in America, critical race theory, reparations, and the harm that comes from even talking about it. People are acting. I mean, sometimes people get so worked up about it. They're like, we can't even talk about this without us losing our edge a little bit. Um, But let's hear what John and Queens thinks. Hey, John, thank you for joining us. Hey, Anthony, how are you? Good, thank you. Anthony, in 1983, I took the sergeant's exam to the NYPD. I didn't study for it. I got a 69, failed it. The cutoff mark was 83. Unless you were a black or Hispanic candidate, because they had to go down to 58 to get enough candidates to promote evenly. One white guy, one black guy, one Hispanic guy. Now, my question is, is that racism? And do I get reparations for not getting that salary for 10 years till I took the next test and passed it? But you know who suffered the most from that? was the black and Hispanic sergeants that passed that test legitimately and were now deemed, oh, look at this guy, another quota sergeant. But what happened, you had people that didn't pass the test out on the street making life and death decisions. Yeah, hey, listen, it's a, it's a good call, and I appreciate it, John, and thank you for, for your service. I mean, here's the analogy I would use. I would say, let's take my relay race analogy from before. And we say in order to make up for the fact that those first three legs of the relay, the other guys were held back. And so if we're going to have a fair competition, we have to give them a little bit. We have to give them a 10-yard head start for the fourth lap or the fourth leg of the, of the relay race. Then that's, that's a policy to try to do that. I don't know. I'm not saying there's no other way to do it. But if you want to, if you want to take someone who has historically been held back – one of the ways to fix it is to give them a leg up a little bit. But there are a lot of there's a lot there are a lot of suits go, there are a lot of uh, you know lawsuits and court cases that are emerging about whether using race and race alone is the way to do it. Like some people make this argument, and I find it fairly compelling. If you're trying to deal with the analogy I gave you before that education spending is based on property taxes and property ta- property values are low in places that banks didn't invest and banks didn't invest where there were blacks. Well, rather than say give a bunch of money to the people in that community, just say, okay, banks, you've got to start investing more there now. Like you try to deal with the institutions rather than the individuals. But but that's that's the hard case. The hard case is like, well, you know, is there is it a zero sum game? If for someone to get ahead, does that mean someone has to get behind? It's a tough call. And that's why reparations – the, the first thing we can do to help talk about race in America is to depersonalize it somewhat and to say let's just look at the institutions that are involved. Let's just look at the way we've been as a country. Let's look at – you know, let's start there. 
and to say, okay, we've improved a great deal and we've made an enormous amount of progress, it is undeniably true. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't aspire to make more progress. Am I wrong about that? Bill, what do you think? Bill in Amityville, go ahead. Yeah, Anthony, how are we doing? I'm well, Bill. All right. I've been listening to you for about two months now, and you have a good view on things. I'm, I'm, sometimes I don't 100% agree with you, to be honest with you, but your views are good, and I always enjoy listening to you. Thank you, sir. Anyway, I don't feel the reparations are going to help this country as far as as far as a racially divided country right now, it's a racially divided country, and it is. And that may just further, further, like, keep the race card going, and it's not good. Well, because to me, yeah, but Bill, I, I understand, I understand that it's it, it's it's being made into a divisive subject. But maybe conversations like we're having today, or I hope that we're having today is the antidote to that. Maybe the having a commission that sits down and hires economists and hearings and puts people on it from different walks of life <coughs> and says, let's look at what these things are and what's the best way to do it. We got a couple of calls today from people who had excellent ideas on how to maybe achieve the same thing without calling it reparation. What I am troubled by here in 2023, in February of 2023, in that people are acting like even teaching something that makes us uncomfortable or teaches something uncomfortable about our history, we should do everything possible not to do. No, let's have these conversations. Let's have teachers. I think our our, our kids and our college students and our adults, and our, you know, I think we're capable of having conversations about hard things. I think we do it here on 77 WABC all the time. I don't think we have to hate each other just because we're having a conversation about each other's history that, by the way, we're all involved in. We're Americans. Their history is not their history. It's our history. This is our history. And I'm reminded of one other thing. There, You know, this is a bit philosophical, but I don't believe there's any such thing as truth. I believe there's such thing as perspective. I think only God knows the truth. I think all of us are limited by our perspective. And when we're introduced to other people's perspective, that makes us grow. That's God talking to us. That's God showing us another way to look at something. And that, you know, history is about taking a look at stuff and being uncomfortable and being comfortable and being and talking to other people and hearing what they have to say in a conversation about CRT or a conversation about reparations. We shouldn't be afraid of that. It's another person's perspective. That's the way God talks to us is through perspectives from other people. And at the top of the hour, we're going to get the perspective of Curtis Lewa and which is always great, left versus right. It's so great to have you along. I'm so grateful for everything that you do to make this show go. Thankful to Diego and Camilla for helping me out, and we'll see you on the other side.